Father, we, we really echo from our own hearts our sense of the truth of what has just been sung. I hope, I hope that our hearts are hungering for you. Because Lord God, you are the one who fills us. You're the one whose grace supplies us with all that we need. We love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your saving work among us. We thank you for your provision, your power, your protection, oh God. We thank you that you love us and have demonstrated that through the giving of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word that you grant to us so freely to teach us about your heart, to show us how much you love us, and to give us instruction for how to live. And I pray this morning, oh God, that that your instruction to us this morning will not fall in deaf ears, but will fall in good soil in the, and it will embed itself in our hearts and we will be changed by your word. Strengthen our faith, O oh God. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, the one common thing that all of us share here this morning is we've all had or have a mother, yes? So we can uh, identify, of course, with the, the great celebration of today. And I, uh, before I launch into what uh, God has to say to us from his word today, I want to just take this opportunity to, to thank a few of the women that are around me and just to recognize their great contribution in my life. And I'm sure you uh, share a story, or many of you share the story that I, that I share with a godly mom who, who demonstrated her whole life uh, the, the strength and stamina and faith in God and and uh, instilled that love for Christ and the desire to serve him in my heart from a very early age as we served together as a family. Uh, my mom was a significant, is a significant uh, uh, shaper of my life. And uh, I can remember as a small child that, that the only time that I really faced anxiety was when my mom would go away and leave us with my dad. Not because he was a bad guy, he was a great guy, it's just how will we be fed? <laughs> what will happen if we get sick? Because the man is not good at any of those kinds of things. So I never wanted to go away from a weekend because it was like this is going to be a famine and, and just pray to the Lord that none of us get sick because there's no chance for him to help us. So, so our mom was, uh, was everything as most moms are. And uh, I thank God for her and I thank the Lord that she's still... Uh, with us and I love her very much and then I thank the Lord as well for some of the new moms in our family for Sarah and and Jordan my daughter-in-laws Jordan Claire who is a new mom and this I think is your first Mother's Day in fact I know it's your first Mother's Day and you are a fantastic mother and we love you so much you're doing such a great job with that little baby boy that you have so well done but it would be wrong for me of course to not also mentioned the very, very most significant uh, mother in my life at this moment is my dear wife, Lynn. <laughs> uh, when I was um, asking her to marry me, I, I said to her, I want to live with a cinnamon girl, and uh, sort of sen sung that Neil, so Neil Young song to her, and uh, most of you don't know that song, do you? You don't want me to break into it, do you? I want to live with the cinnamon girl. Okay. So, Neil Young does it a little differently, but uh, there's the song. And uh, 
I just want you to know that uh, though Lynn's a quiet, quiet woman, she's a strong, steadfast, stalwart, uh, part of the structured faith in our family. And um, I am so grateful for her and what she has done and what she continues to do in just standing firm in the Lord and has loved the Lord with all her heart and, uh, um, and has loved our children and has loved them into the kingdom of God and our grandchildren. And, and uh, she's a great delight in my life. So happy Mother's Day to you. I wanted to share with you this morning from 2 Kings chapter 4. I thought it would be good for us to, um, to sort of um, zero in on a, a message to, to moms, to mothers, to women. At the same time, I want to run a, a, a parallel of our own story. And I want to share with you that how this particular text has been so real to our journey and, and Lynn and I, and I want to sort of run in parallel tracks and share a little bit of our story. Many of you don't know um, our story, uh, how we got into ministry, and, and uh, I've sort of been waiting for the text that would ever come up that might give opportunity to, to, to really identify what has happened in our lives. Um, in 1980, I married, as I've just shared, the lovely Lynn, and um, I was gainfully employed at that time, and that's what you would expect uh, for a young man to be in 1980. In 1986, uh, through a number of circumstances, I believe that the Lord was calling me into, to leave the career that I was in in commercial real estate and, and uh, leasing and get, uh, start to train for full-time Christian service, Christian ministry. And I remember as I was driving home, having come to that conclusion and, and uh, driving home that day and uh, wondering to myself uh, as I was going to tell Lynn how she would respond and it wasn't it wasn't really an easy um, thing to tell her in a sense because we had just purchased a home uh, a couple years ago and she was really enjoying what we had and and uh, we were really settled and settled in our church and everything was going along the way it normally does for most people and I just wondered what she would do and so I went home to her that day and I said Lynn uh, I have something to tell to you as I was standing uh, on the refurbished, gleaming hardwood floors that I had just redone uh, that she was so pleased with and so proud of. And I said to her, Lynn, I think that God wants me to go into full-time Christian ministry. And her response was this, I always knew God would call you, and I married you believing it. And that made it a lot easier to follow af after the Lord. And that, that's kind of um, strength of character and faith that she has. And, and so I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I started to get a glimpse of how God would move in our lives. So we had a, a child and a mortgage and soon one on the way. And I did the sensible thing and quit my job. And uh, then we had no job, no money, and what's going to happen. And so I want to turn your attention today to the text of Scripture because I think it addresses this whole issue of when you are left in need or when serving God leaves you in need, how should you expect God to respond? That's the story of what happened in our lives. When serving God leaves you in need, how should you expect God to respond? When God asks you to put your family or your situation at risk to trust in Him, can he be trusted? The story that we're going to look at today is a woman who found herself in great need due to the uh, ministry expenses that were incurred by her late husband. As we launch into this 
text in 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. This was within the scope of the law of the day, that if you ran up a debt, that debt could be transferred and it could, you could settle that debt without choice by having to give up your kids who would have to go and work off that debt for the creditor. Now, they couldn't be required to work more than six years, but that was, was within the scriptural text. Exodus 21, if you're interested in reading there, 1 through 11. So we find ourselves in the days of Elisha here, the Elisha the prophet, and she comes to him because her husband had been in the company of the prophets, had been one of this group of individuals. And she said, you know my husband, you know what he's like. You know that he revered the Lord, and you, and you know that the predicament that, uh, that we're in because of the mission. It wasn't riotous living. It was because of his ministry. And we, we asked the question, well, how do, how do we know what was going on in this guy's life? And then she says, like, my livelihood, my inheritance is in jeopardy. Who's going to look after me if, this, if my sons are taken into slavery to pay the credit, pay these debts? And so we arrive often in a situation like that. Now, it's interesting because as you do a little bit of research to discover who her husband was, it kind of sheds light on, on a, a lot more of what's going on here. The Bible itself does not mention who her husband was, but there's lots of extra-biblical information and research that tells us something. Are you at all curious about who, this, who her husband was? Are you? Oh, that's good. You know, the first group, they just sat there quietly, like, and I said, I'll take by your silence, you're interested. But you seem more interested. According to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian of a bygone era, writing in the Antiquities of the Jews, anybody read that as your devotions this morning? Or you might want to read it afterwards. It's nine point... Did you actually read it as your... Okay, all right. All right. I, I see a nodding head down there. I was like, did you read Josephus this morning? Wow. Josephus, the Antiquities of the Jews, nine... Point four, point two, section 47, if you're interested. I don't see anybody jotting that down. Um, but you can read there that, in fact, her husband was none other than... I don't have a drum roll. Obadiah, or Obadiah, as some of you haven't been around here. The minor prophet Obadiah, Obadiah. In fact, it's also corroborated by the Targumim. The Targumim were Jewish rabbi commentaries of the uh, shortly after history in, the, in, in that particular time of this particular prophet called Obiah or Obadiah or Obadiah. Now, uh, we need to know a little bit about his history so we can, um, can discover what was going on. Obadiah lived at the time of the days of Elijah. In 1 Kings 18, and we pick up the story uh, uh, with respect to Elijah who bumps into his prophet buddy Obadiah and he says to him, I want you to arrange a meeting between me and the evil king Ahab. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings 18 verse 12 where he says, I, he says to Elijah, I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. In other words, 
Elijah, I've heard of your reputation that God spirits you away here and there. You never know where you're going to be. And I'll arrange this, this uh, lunch date between you and King Ahab. You don't show up. I'm a dead man. Particularly, he goes on to say, yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Why are you putting me in jeopardy? Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here? He will kill me. It appears that uh, Obadiah had borrowed money from the king to actually take care of the priests of the Lord, had gone out and had run up a debt looking after God's servants. So we find him and his family now in peril because he had financed his amnesty program. It was a very difficult time. Uh, living a life of faith in those days, as it is now, it was very expensive and costly. You see, the summer jobs program for the priests of God grant had not gone to the priests of God in the church. It had gone to the prophets of Baal. And so here you have this very difficult moment that his widow is now left with the, uh, the incurred debt. So I want to share with you very quickly this morning five faith builder truths from this great story from ministry-hearted women and uh, men you can listen into if you're interested because I think it has something to say to all of us and something that I certainly, Lynn and I certainly learned pers personally. And the first is this. God will not leave his family to pay his debt. God will never leave his family to pay his debt. You know, you ask the question, am I going to go out of pocket and, and, and uh, expense the work of God? Is he going to leave me in debt? Is he going to leave my children to be taken by the creditors and all of that? That's the question she's asking. But, but we need to understand something. There is a major dynamic going on between us and the Lord when he enlists us in his service. And that is this, that God cannot allow himself to be indebted to us. Do you understand that? God cannot. I'm going to tell you why. God cannot allow himself to be indebted to us when we go into his service. And there's a reason. First of all, because the Lord, by character, is gracious. And by virtue of his graciousness, he is a God who meets us at the level of grace. God, by his character of grace, in his interactions with us, is always offering to us his favor that's, that we don't deserve, the undeserved favor of God. He is never granting us something because he owes us. He is giving to us always from his grace, his undeserved favor. So by, the, by virtue of his character, he will never leave us in a situation where we say, God, you owe me. But secondly, there's proverbial truth in Proverbs 22, 7, and the verse goes this way. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. God can never allow himself to be the borrower from us and for us to become the lender to God. Otherwise, that puts God in a situation of servitude to people. So God will not. Living a life of faith can be expensive and risky and exhausting for certain. But God will never, ever remain in debt to us. 
Lynn and I learned this very quickly. And it was early in the year of 1986 when we believe God called us into ministry. And as I said, we had no job then and we had no savings and we had no plan on what God was going to do. We just knew exactly what God wanted us to do and it was going to be up to God to make it happen. By June of that year, June 86, I was offered a job by my home church to be interim Christian education director. And that interim position, which is normally like six months or a year or whatever, became three years, and I'm pretty certain on purpose, which got us through seminary, and they paid me far more than I was worth. Not only that, though, the Several months later, the first day I walked into school, September 1986, into seminary, there was a note in the student mailbox. I went to check it and went, there was a note in the student mailbox that said, go to the office. And I thought, what, my first day back at school and I'm already in trouble? So I went to the office. I said, oh, you need to speak to the financial officer. I said, of course, the financial officer. Well, the person across the desk from me said, um, I have some really interesting news to share with you said, I have to tell you that someone anonymously has paid your tuition for the whole year. I was like, what? And so it was one of those moments when I had just, you know, I'd started back to school and I was like, wow, this is so overwhelming and we don't have enough money and I don't know how this is going to work, but God has got to get us through here. And should I, should I, is, was this a stupid idea? Should I just turn around and go back home and, and all of this? And, and it was just one thing after another. And then I opened a Christmas card. Lynn and I opened a Christmas card that Christmas. And there was a denomination that fell out of the Christmas card that I had never, ever seen before in my life. It was a color that I had never seen before in my life. It was a $1,000 bill, and it was a rosy color. At first, I thought it was a $50 bill, but I thought, no, I've never seen a $50 bill that looked like that. It was a $1,000 bill. And situation after situation like that, God demonstrated to us as a family that God will not leave his family, his children, to pay his debts in the service that he's called us to do. And so it was that this widow, she, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know, and, and Elijah replies to her, how can I help you? How can I help you? Convinced that God could help her, she reaches out to the prophet, and he responds back to her, how can I help you? I'm not sure that's exactly what she wanted to hear. How can I help you? But it was a good response. How can I help you? I'm just a prophet. I'm a poor prophet too. What, can, what do I have to help you with? But then he asks her this very, very critical question. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Beloved of God, I want to point out to you that the second thing that I have learned and I learned from this text is this, that what you already have or are willing to get will likely be instrumental in what God will use. Listen to this. Pay attention to this. Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she says, your servant has nothing. And then she thinks a little bit. Nothing there at all. And I think there was this pause, and then she thought, I'm kind of lying to the prophet. And she says, well, except a little oil. Okay, I have a little oil. But it's nothing compared to the debt that I have. There's nothing there at all except a little oil. You know, as, I, as, as Lynn and I were, were looking at this daunting seminary adventure in front of us, and three years, and, and really, while it was paid in this interim job, it wasn't 
really going to make it and all, all of that. The math wasn't going to add up. Nothing was going to add up. God had been bringing to me some awareness, bringing to us some awareness that I got this, I got this, I'll look after you. But it wasn't adding up mathematically. And so I, was, I remember thinking just before I went to school, how is this going to work, Lord? What, what am I going to do? And, and the Lord was like, well, you have a house. Well, yeah, Lord, but I just bought it. I bought it with the, the gigantic amount of $4,200. That was the down payment. That was all that we had, $4,200, and I put that into the house. I said, well, that's all I have, Lord. That $4,200 is not going to go very far, even if I can offload this thing. I had bought it two years before for the exorbitant price of $42,000. You remember those days? Anybody here remember those days? Don't you wish for those days? $42,000. Two years later, I put it on the market, and in two days, it sold for $73,000. After clearing real estate fees and clearing lawyer fees and all of that, we, we had $30,000 now in our hands. Now, that's not our math. That's God's math. God took $4,200 and turned it into $30,000 just because it was one of those moments when real estate took one of those things. And I'd like to think that the whole real estate jump was all about Lynn and I, but I know it happened all over the place as well. But for us, for us, it was that moment when, when God said, what do you have in your hand? And I, I had nothing but $4,200, I thought, a house. Maybe if I sold it, by the time I paid real estate fees and legal fees, I would have nothing left. But we had $30,000 left. And now the math was starting to move in the right direction. But still, it really wasn't that. But it was seven times my investment. You know, um, back in the Old Testament, when God called Moses, he said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? Remember that story in Exodus chapter 4? Because Moses was reluctant to be the spokesman for God. What do you have in your hand? He says, I got a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. And it became a snake. And then he says to Moses, pick that thing back up. And I'm sure there was a hesitation there for a moment. And then Moses picked it back up and it turned into a staff again. And God asked, any questions? I can do the impossible, Moses. It's not about you. So here... We were able to sell our house. What do you have? Well, I have a house. What, what can you do? Well, for six years, I'd been teaching junior highs, 12 and 13-year-olds. God says, I can use that. And so we embarked. And so the text goes on. Elisha says to her, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars and don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. Can you imagine? Go around, ask your neighbors for jars, jars like these. Just go and ask. Now, God could have simply given her all kinds of oil. God could have killed her creditors. There's any number of things God could have done. God could have just given me a degree, which is what I wished he would have done. But God doesn't invest in passive independency. When God is at work in our lives, he is preparing us for active availability. And he's going to demonstrate that and show it to us. God won't do for you thirdly what he wants faith in him to do in you. This is critically important for us to understand the journey as to why God sometimes leaves us out there and we're wondering, what are you going to do with me, God? What, how can you supply? How are you going to take care of me? God won't do for you 
what he wants, faith in him to do in you. And when you decide to put your hope in God, when you decide to throw it all in the line, when you decide to to give him over all control, every decision from that point on is a believe or disbelieve one. Am I going to believe God? Are we as a family going to believe God? Are Lynn and I going to step out and believe God that he can take care of us or are we not? Are we going to disbelieve? And so it was for her. If you require logical explanations or some sort of uh, credible reasonability for everything that has to happen in your life, you will fail to encounter the glory of God in your life. God's miraculous works happen through obedience, not logical explanations. Go and ask your neighbors for vessels. Go ask them for jars and don't ask for just a few. Ask for a lot. So she left. And afterward, she shut the door behind her as she was told to do. She left him, verse 5, and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons. And she laid it all on the line. With the eyes of the next generation gazing at her. Wondering what God was going to do. And wondering what kind of faith their mom really has. And what kind of God she really believed in. And she started pouring the oil. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Now, um... There are some interesting, I, I think one of the most interesting phrases in this particular story is when Elisha says to her, go and get empty jars, but don't ask for just a few. Um, women of faith here this morning, I want to share something with you and encourage you. It is human nature for us to want to play life safe. It is human nature for us when we are called by God on mission. And that's whether you become a mother. I'm I'm talking about mission, all kinds of life mission. I'm not just talking about full-time Christian service. I'm talking about full-time Christian living. God's got us all on mission. And when God calls us to something... It is normal for us to delay the mission until we can see all the resources. I mean, for Lynn and I, it was a question of, are we going to sit down and are we going to step out in faith or are we going to wait until all of the math adds up? We want to play it safe, but God wants us to play it faith. And and the question that is always put before us is, what's the size of your play it safe versus what's the size of your faith? What, What do you think that you can do by summoning all your resources versus what God can do when he calls you to something? I could never do this, or I could never be a mom, or I could never, I could never strike out in this direction, or I could never trust God for that direction. Listen, our ability... To give 
is always impacted what we are able to receive. The size, the size of God's work in our lives is based on the size of our faith effort. Don't ask for a few. When Elisha was on his deathbed, sometime after this story, King Joash, the king of Israel, came to him, and the Arameans had been troubling Israel greatly. And Elisha says to uh, King Joash, grab a bundle of arrows, and I want you to hit the ground with them. And so King Joash hit them one time, and then he hit them a second time on the ground, and then he hit them a third time, and he stopped. And Elisha says, I wish you hadn't have stopped. I wish you had have hit the ground a fifth time and a sixth time because the number of times you have hit the ground is a demonstration of your faith and God will deliver you three times. But if you had have banged the ground five times or banged the ground six times, God would have delivered you six times. Women of faith, women of God, God wants you to have an audacious faith in God. He wants you to believe that, that he can do the impossible. You see, as we're reading along here, he said, when she said, bring me another one, but they replied, but he, her son replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. God didn't run out of oil. They ran out of jars. God doesn't run out of anything. So... How big is God? How big is God to you? How big is God to you, to your children, to your husband, to the people in your family who you influence? The next generation, if you're a grandmother, let God fill up the size of your faith and trust him. God wants us to live in such a way that if he doesn't show up and come through, we aren't going to make it. He's honored He's honored when we trust him with the impossible, with something beyond our, our imagination. My Father in heaven will come through. Hallowed be his name. And then finally, he says to her, Elisha says to her, because she goes now, verse 7, she goes to Elisha and tells the man of God, and he says this, go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I wonder as she gazed at this abundance of oil, cash, I wonder if just for a moment she contemplated dining and dashing, you know, leaving town, leaving the creditors holding the bag. No, this is very, very important. When God supplies you and gives you instructions, go and sell, and pay, and live on the leftovers. The question is, are you going to use what God is willing to give you for his purposes or for your own? Because it's quite simply, this is the tr God's blessings and treasure is a trust to those, that, a trust that he risks on those who are willing to spend it on his purposes. God will not risk a big vision on a woman or a man who intends to spend it on themselves. You go, you sell, 
you pay your debt, and you live on the leftovers, I've already shown you that I can take care of you. How much, loved ones, of yourself are you willing to risk on God? That's the question of this. So that your life is only explainable by God's grace. He won't allow himself to be indebted. So it was coming up to graduation for us. I had half a, sem- half a semester to go. I had no job because the three-year interim job was finished. Had no placement. By this time, I had three kids in tow. So, God, you helped us through, and the math didn't work. Are you going to leave us now? Because we find ourselves in need all over again. By the end of the summer, I had a job. And when I looked at all that I had finished, when I had finished paying all of the debts that I owed, we had three times our original down payment in the bank to put as a down payment on the next home. So God took that bracket in our lives and did things that no accountant, no financial planner would think were very smart and made it work. The math didn't work, but it did work because it's it's God's mathematics. So praise God as you find yourself in a place of need. Can God take care of me? Can God help us on the mission that he's got us on? Yes, he can. Yes, he does. Yes, he will. There are multiple testimonies in this room about these great stories. So as we conclude this morning, it's possible that there might be someone in here who has never come to know the life-transforming work of, of, of the living God through Christ Jesus. You know, um, the Apostle Paul writes, and I think he had this story in mind when he writes to the Corinthians, and he said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's referring to, he's referring to people. We have this treasure, the treasure of God's salvation, the treasure of God's eternal life, the treasure of forgiveness of sins, the treasure of salvation. We have this treasure in jars of clay that are very weak, in order that the surpassing greatness of God might not be found in us. So I ask you this morning, there's two or three kinds of people here. Perhaps you find yourself just depleted. You know the Lord, you're a woman of God, a woman of faith, but you find yourself depleted and in need in God. You've been wondering where God is. Would you just invite God to fill up your jar to overflowing. If you've never come to know the Lord, the invitation is open this morning to you. You can invite him to come into your life. A jar, by the way, that's very indebted to God, indebted 
because of our sin, a sin that has been paid for for us by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Come into my life, Lord. Thank you for paying my debt. Now come in and fill my life with your presence, with this all-surpassing greatness of salvation, that my life might overflow and pour into the lives of others. So God invites us this morning to experience the life-transforming work of God through faith. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I pray this morning and I thank you for your great love. I pray, Lord God, and ask that you would bless us and help us. Would you strengthen our hearts, O oh God, with a resolve? I pray for every woman in here this morning, woman of faith. Lord, would you give them new resolve to trust you for the big things that are on their hearts. And I pray, Father, as well, for those who might not know you, that they've come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to pray for particularly the women of God in here this morning, women, and uh, as it relates to this sermon, the temptation in our lives whenever we face a major hurdle is to either disbelieve or to play it safe. Or maybe uh, you find yourself just simply in the waiting room wondering how God is going to provide the need that you have in your life and you can't see the resources that God can see. As we go to prayer, if, if, if you were um, in that particular situation, one of those three situations today, maybe it's a loved one or a family member or some situation in your life, just slip up your hand and I'm going to pray for you this morning as we go to prayer. You just in asking God, God, would you just fill my life up with confidence and faith that you can provide? Let's, let's bow for prayer. Father, I know that you see the hearts of these women of faith who find themselves here with concerns on their hearts that are bigger than anything they can take care of. And Lord, we have a choice to make, whether to believe or disbelieve, whether to play it safe or play it by faith, whether to trust you, O oh God, to provide and to fill up our jar to overflowing. And so, Lord, you are the same God today, yesterday, and forever, the same God who filled up those vessels, those jars, and provided for that prophet's widow is the same God who cares about us and loves us and none of us are too obscure for God. We matter to God. So Lord, for these women today who have burdens on their hearts and are asking you, would you just fill their life with a sense of your overflowing presence and confidence that you've got this, you've got this, and we can trust you, oh God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.